Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michaels' 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Hey there, and welcome back. This week, we promise to come to the climactic moment that we have all been waiting for, the moment that God had been setting the stage for, that one amazing moment. But first, I want to uh, just remind you, my purpose here as we are walking through the pages of the New Testament is to keep us focused on the story that's behind the stories and also to bring out little bits and pieces of information just to prove how accurate and how true the Bible is. So I want to welcome all of our newcomers. Some of you have just signed up to walk with us through the New Testament. Others of you have already been walking with us for months through the Old Testament. I want to welcome all of you as we begin now this amazing moment in history. So uh, let's review. We've uh, just two days ago, we posted a recap or an overview of the Old Testament. So if you are just beginning with us on the New Testament and you'd like to, I recommend that you listen to that and just get uh, within your um, mind an overview, the background of what we've just come through in the Old Testament, because I, I, my point is to really understand who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what Jesus said, even what the Apostle Paul was writing and talking about, we really have to understand that Old Testament. But for now, we're going to focus on the New Testament story. So welcome to everyone. Um, this week, we started uh, in the Daily Bible. We're reading from the dates of October 15 through 21 in the Daily Bible. And, uh, and that's also pages 1337 to 1363 in the Daily Bible. We are talking about first, the first few days, we were reading about the intertestamental period. So the period of history after the Old Testament is closed, but before we start the New Testament story, because there were 400 years of history there. And it's a lot of history, and you might have gotten a little lost as you were reading through it. But I'm going to help you today with a real quick review of what's important in that history. And then I have a resource for you if you'd like to listen to more and understand more about that period, because it really is very exciting, 400 years. It's often referred to as 400 years of silence. But I want to make the point, I don't believe God was silent at all, and I know he wasn't still at all. He was very busy at work bringing down empires, moving people around, setting the stage for the amazing moment that we open with in the New Testament. So it's really an exciting time of history. And I've got some resources for you, but let's get started. So we ended the Old Testament under the period of the Persian Empire, and the Persians had allowed the Jews to go back to their homeland, rebuild their temple, rebuild Jerusalem, and to reestablish a presence back in their 
homeland. And that's kind of where the Old Testament left off. So uh, during this time, I want to say that those that returned back home to Jerusalem was a fraction of those that had been taken into exile. And so sometimes we have this idea about the 10 lost tribes, that the 10 tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel were lost to history. And it was only the Judeans that returned under the Persians, but that is not entirely accurate. While it was a fraction of the people that did return, we believe that, and indications are, that most, if not all, of the tribes were represented in the exiles. But what happened is that the tribal identities were not so important once they got back in the land because they were not living in their tribal territories anymore. They were a, a more limited um, uh, presence there. Also, those that remained in exile in ancient Persia, um, we do know that some of those tribes began to move east along the silk trade route. And so there's some exciting finds even in modern history of ancient Jewish communities. So they weren't entirely lost. Um, so I just wanted to explain that. And another development under the Persian Empire was the beginning of the synagogue movement where they no longer had a temple in Jerusalem. So they began meeting in a community center there and um, known in English as a synagogue. And even when the exiles went back and they rebuilt the temple, all of these exiles that were still in Persia began this movement of local synagogues, local places of meeting, local places of learning, and that developed a movement of rabbis because they needed someone to teach them the law and to teach them in the synagogues. So we have this whole movement and growth of the rabbinic uh, part of Judaism, of the synagogue movement, while we have the temple being rebuilt and the city of Jerusalem being rebuilt. Um, and this division, in a way, between what's happening in the exile and what's happening back in the land uh, in Israel, when we get to the New Testament, we're going to see some of the divisions within the Jewish community because of these various uh, historic developments. And so we had the rabbis, which a lot of them were Pharisees, that believed in the oral law and the oral traditions that they had been passing down from generation to generation versus the Sadducees who were back in the temple in Jerusalem. They were the priests. They didn't believe in the oral law. And, um, and they had the more political power within the Jewish community. So very interesting movements that were beginning during this time period that later we'll read about in the New Testament. Um, now, the Persian Empire then begins to weaken, and they fall to Alexander the Great. I'm sure you've all heard of Alexander the Great, but he took the Greek language and culture, and he conquered the entire Persian Empire, which if you remember, we talked about how big the Persian Empire was. It went all the way from India to Ethiopia. And, um, well, the Greek Empire now goes all the way from India to Greece. It was very large, and it took with it, it wasn't so much about military control, although it was, but they used the Greek 
language and culture as a means of influencing the people and making them loyal citizens of the Greek empire. So that process is called Hellenization. And this is very important to know uh, because this was a ex- big influence upon the Jewish people in this Greek empire. There was a Hellenization, and at times it was actually forced upon them. And so we read about this ha- takes place in this intertestamental period. And um, the Greek language and culture is so pervasive that it's at this time that we have the Old Testament is translated into Greek, and it's called the Septuagint. And it's it's because of this. Now, after Alexander the Great died, he died very young, actually, his kingdom was broken up into four different areas under four of his generals. One of those generals is key to our story. And this is the Seleucid king, Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And he was located up in the Damascus area, the Syria area. And he is the one that came down into uh, the area of Judea and began to force Hellenization on the Jews. The Jews were seen kind of as rebellious because why? Their God had told them not to bow down to pagan gods. Their God had given them very strict laws that they were supposed to obey. So they couldn't just take in hook, line, and sinker Hellenization, because with it came the pagan religions and a very, very uh, loose uh, society of the Olympics where they uh, they did their athletics in, um, in nudity. I mean, the Jews couldn't go along with this, so they were seen as rebellious. And Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes decides to take control once and for all, and so he comes in and outlaws the Jewish religion. He takes over the temple and sets up a pagan idol in the temple. And um, this led to the revolt of the Jewish people under the Maccabees. You may have heard of the Maccabean revolt. All this is taking place in between the Old Testament and the New, but it is so central to our story. Why? Because the Maccabees actually succeed in defeating this Greek king. Because at this point, the Greek empire is kind of weakening. And so the Maccabees, they, they defeat him. They rededicate the temple to the God of Israel. And today, the Jewish community today still celebrates that rededication of the temple. known And the celebration today is called Hanukkah. In the time of the New Testament, it was called the Feast of Dedication because it was the dedication of the temple. And Jesus actually went to the temple for the Feast of Dedication. And this this rededication of the temple um, also led to the Maccabees actually established a kingdom for about a hundred years. They had a degree of sovereignty over the land of Israel, and it was called the Hasmonean Kingdom. And during that time, they began to re-inhabit the lands that had been filled with Gentiles, filled with pagans, and they began to uh, to settle it, to inhabit it. They uh, forced some of the people left in the land to convert to Judaism if they wanted to continue living there. 
And um, a lot of the exiles, or I should say more exiles, began to return to come back and to be a part of this resettling of the land. Why is this so important? Because it's under the Hasmonean Empire that the little town of Nazareth in the Galilee is established. Therefore, we believe it was deliberately established by those of the house of David that should have been down in the area of Bethlehem, but they wanted to be a part of establishing Israeli sovereignty, Jewish sovereignty over the land. And so they established this little town of Nazareth. And it could be that there were exiles from the house of David that began to make their way back from Babylon, stopped there in the Galilee, and became a part of this community of the lineage of David in the little city of Nazareth. All of this is so key to our story because these are the, the um, ancestors, the, the forefathers of Mary and Joseph. That's how they got to Nazareth. So um, now we have one of those groups of people that were forced to convert to Judaism are the Idumeans. And a generation later, one of the Idumeans becomes Herod the Great. And at this point, we see the Hasmonean Empire is beginning to weaken, and this great new empire is coming on the scene. It's the Roman Empire. And so Herod the Great goes and makes a deal with the Romans. He will be the king of the Jews, the king of Judea. He is a half-Jew because his ancestors um, had converted. He was a pagan by belief, and he was a loyal vassal king to Rome. And so they set him up as king over this area. That is how Herod the Great came to be in place at the birth of Jesus. So Herod the Great, who is a very conflicted man because he's part Jewish, he is pagan, he is very secular, he's very immoral, and he's very loyal to the Romans. He is also extremely brilliant, one of the greatest builders of the entire Roman Empire. The things that he built during his time they came from all over the Roman Empire to see, and that included the great temple in Jerusalem. But he was also a very sick man, mentally extremely paranoid. And that plays into our story, which we're going to read in the New Testament. It's interesting that all three of these great empires, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans, brought with them an existential threat to the people of Israel. Under the Persians, we read about it in the book of Esther. Under the Greeks, we just heard about it with Antiochus, the, the fourth Epiphanes. It's not written in the Bible, but it's very much a part of history. And then under the Romans, this tension with the Romans became so strong, it took about a hundred years, but eventually the Romans came in, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took the people out of the land a second time. That's the second exile. So as I said, this 400 years of history in between, just to set the stage for the story of the New Testament, is really crucial. 
And there's so much to the story. I would love to be able to take more time and tell you. And I've done just that in another episode in my 3D Jesus series. If you go to wherever you watch this podcast or, or listen to this podcast, if you go look, you'll see my earlier series called The 3D Jesus. Episode one covers just this period of the intertestamental period, this story about Nazareth, the story about Hanukkah. And uh, I invite you to listen. So we're going to link to that episode in today's show notes, which you should find right below. But we're going to continue on with our story now. We have so much to cover. Uh, so God was setting the stage. And um, it's the same today. I want you to understand this. Just like the Old Testament had been closed off, uh, we don't have any more books in the Bible but for this period. doesn't mean God wasn't busy at work. It doesn't mean God wasn't still on the throne. He was very busy at work. And it's the same today. The New Testament was shut off centuries ago. It was, it was closed. Uh, we're no longer adding to the New Testament. But the story didn't end. And God is still busy at work until that day when he appears and he comes to tabernacle with man and there's a new heaven and new earth. Until then, the story is still being written. God is still setting the stage for that final and great act in history. So you and I can look forward to that and know that we are a part of an amazing story. And as we hear from the Lord and we serve the Lord, we're playing a part in him setting the stage for what he is about to do on the earth. So I hope that it encourages you uh, to realize that. Now, this story we do then after we finish this intertestamental period, we come to the story of the New Testament, and we begin with the genealogy of Jesus. The point of the genealogy is, of course, that both Mary and Joseph were descendants of David. That is the point of both genealogies. Then we have this story of this priest named Zechariah. He's in the temple and he's fulfilling his priestly duties when an angel appears to him. And this is another reason why the Hanukkah story is so important, because if the Maccabees had not taken back the temple and rededicated it to the God of Israel, Zechariah would have never been there. He wouldn't have been serving as a priest in the temple. This story would have never been able to take place. But because of them, he is there taking his place, serving his duty, and an angel appears to him and tells him that his wife is going to have a child and he is to be called John. Now, this is the story, of course, of the conception of John the Baptist. And we just ended the Old Testament with the prophecy that God was going to send a messenger, a forerunner, to go before him. And in the very last verse of Malachi, it actually says that he would send Elijah and so Jesus later on said, yes, John the Baptist, he was Elijah, and Elijah is also 
still to come. So John the Baptist was in a way a partial fulfillment of the spirit of Elijah. And then we read the story of how God sends the angel Gabriel up to the Galilee to a town called Nazareth to a virgin woman named Mary and to understand why God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilee instead of to Bethlehem. We all know the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. He's supposed to be of the lineage of David, and that's where David is from, is Bethlehem. That's where all the descendants of David are, is in Bethlehem. Why would God send Gabriel all the way up to Galilee, to this little town of Nazareth? And it's because there was a family there from the lineage of David that I believe had been praying for the fulfillment of the prophecies that God had given to Isaiah, that the Galilee would see a bright light and that a child would be born and the government would be on his shoulder. And so I cover all of this in the 3D Jesus, episode one and episode two. And I invite you to listen to those. We link to them in today's show notes. Um, it's really some interesting theories. God, the, I want to be very clear. The Bible doesn't tell us why Mary lived in Nazareth. The Bible doesn't tell us this. But just looking at the evidence, looking at the history, kind of putting two and two together, there are some very real possibilities of how that lineage of David made their way to Nazareth. So I invite you to listen to the 3D Jesus, episodes one and two. Now, Gabriel tells Mary that she's going to have this baby and that God is going to give him the throne of his father, David. This means that the baby is going to be a direct fulfillment of God's promises to David and that this is part of that everlasting throne um, the dynasty of David. But there is also a part of this story where, that indicates Jesus's divinity. And his name is Yeshua, which means salvation. And he is to be an everlasting king. So there, it's divinity here. It's everlasting. This isn't about a man coming to fulfill a 40, 50-year reign on earth. Uh, this is an everlasting reign. This is the Messiah. This is God himself. And then um, Mary, in her response, um, you know, Mary goes to see Elizabeth, and when the babe leaps in Elizabeth's womb, and then Mary has this song of praise that she sings out, and she attributes this baby to the fulfillment of God's promises, not just to David, but to Abraham. And this is why I keep harping on the importance of us knowing the Old Testament to even understand the New Testament, to understand who Jesus is, because Jesus is here in fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham and to David. And those promises have not been totally fulfilled yet because Jesus came in a um, first step role uh, to die and to suffer. He's coming again. And at that point, 
all of these promises are going to be completely and totally fulfilled. Now, um, Mary understood this, that this was because of God's promises to her forefathers. And um, so then let's move on, the, the birth of Jesus. And uh, we have this, we, we all know the story, but unfortunately in so many of our churches, we have relegated the Christmas story to the children. Why? Well, it has virgin women, virgin girls, it has uh, babies, it has angels, it has animals. I mean, everything that children love. So we set up little petting zoos and, and the whole thing. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a fun holiday for the kids. But there is so much depth in this story for us as adults to grasp. And a lot of it is in the birth of Jesus wasn't just because the hotel was full and he had to go out into the manger. Uh, there was something very, very prophetic in this. Um, it wasn't a hotel. The, the word that has been translated as in um, is more better translated as the guest room. And so more than likely, it was a guest room in a family home that was full. Um, and it may be because of the senses that it was full, and it may be because it was a, a around a holiday that it was full. But anyway, the, the family homes, the relatives there in Bethlehem didn't have any guest space for Joseph and Mary. So they put them in the part of the home where the, um, the animals are. And it's early church tradition going back back to early times. Uh, thousands of years ago, the early church tradition was that Jesus was born in a cave. And it, this is really important. There were homes built in caves, and there were also the use of caves out by the shepherds uh, where they birthed the lambs. And sometimes this birthing cave could be an, a part of a home, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was separate, and it was uh, just a standalone cave. But in the area, the main animal in the area were lambs. And in the area outside of Bethlehem is where the uh, whole industry of raising lambs for the sacrificial system in the temple took place. And this explains so much about our Christmas story, that the, uh, the animals were the lambs, the cave is where the lambs were birthed, and therefore the uh, babe was put into the feeding trough for the lambs and wrapped in the swaddling clothes that they used with the baby lamb. So when a baby lamb was born, it was wrapped in swaddling cloths so that it wouldn't fall and kick and hurt itself because then it would have a blemish and then it wasn't qualified to be sacrificed at the temple. And in this whole area, the uh, shepherds were not just everyday shepherds. They were actually priestly shepherds that had a responsibility to raise the lambs according to the rabbinic laws to the priestly requirements so that they would qualify to be sacrificed in the temple. And these shepherds were in and out of the temple all the time, interacting with the priest, and they had a lot of responsibility. So um, 
When the angels appeared to the shepherds, more than likely, these are the shepherds. They were shepherds that went straight to the temple and told them what had been proclaimed to them by these angels. These were shepherds that knew right where to go find the baby Jesus in the birthing cave, and they understood the symbolism and the significance. And um, so I just share that the Bible doesn't tell us all these details, but when we get into the archaeology, to the historical setting, to the physical settings of these stories, we're able to piece together some really amazing things that were taking place here, that God was fulfilling the prophecies to the prophet Isaiah about the Galilee. He chose this family for a reason because I believe they had been praying in faith for the fulfillment of those prophecies. That's why Mary was so ready. She said, yes, I'll do it. They knew Isaiah's prophecies over the Galilee. And they understood that they were of the lineage of David. They took this very, very seriously. And God had Jesus born in order to die as a sacrificial lamb. From the very beginning, it was all there before us. So I, I want to encourage you as you're reading through these stories, there's so much that we could talk about. And that's why I hope that you'll listen to the 3D Jesus episode one and two, where I'm able to take a little bit more time and explain these things a little bit more fully for you. We cannot understand these stories, and uh, more so even as we keep going in the New Testament without knowing uh, some of the history, some of the background, uh, some of the meanings um, of it. So I am so glad that you are here with us to take this journey through the New Testament together. As we walk quickly through the story, I'm going to point you to resources so that you can dig deeper if that's what you'd like to do. And um, But you're going to understand the story of Jesus like you've never understood it before, the story of Paul, the story of the New Testament. So I'm so glad that you're here. You're beginning the journey with us. In, enjoy your reading this week. And um, in a, I hope that you'll be back with us next week. Until then, I just want to say, God bless. Have you fallen behind in your walk through the Bible daily readings? Well, we serve a God of second chances, and this is your chance to finish the year out with us. You can start afresh this month and read through the New Testament with us in just 11 short weeks. So go to outofzionshow.com, request your New Testament reading guide, and let's get started. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.